You know, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Tony, and I'm the discipleship pastor here. And before we get started, uh, I just wanted to thank Rob for coming up and sharing with us. Uh, Rob is the chairman of our deacons, and uh, we'd like you to get to know the deacons a little better. And they're here uh, to serve the body. That's, that's their job. And so I uh, really appreciate him coming up and sharing his, his heart about service today and his call for your help. If, if you didn't get a chance to fill out that piece of paper about service, you can go ahead and do that. You can hand that to me uh, after the service, or you can give that to one of the folks out front that, that are wearing the blue shirt that says hi on it. Uh, they're, they're our greeters, and they're here for you as well. So thank you for coming here today. I get the pleasure of kicking off a, a new series called What Jesus Said. I can't think of anything more powerful th than that, and it's going to be really cool to get to talk to you today. And um, I wanted to tell you about some times before when I've preached. And, you know, I get to preach every now and then. And, and I've had people come up to me and, and say, after I've preached a sermon, they say, Tony, I was, I was really convicted by what you said. I, I've had people before say, Tony, well, you really stepped on my, my toes today. Or you really slapped me around with what you said. What, whatever they've said. But, but as, I, I like to walk in the morning a lot. I walk about three or four miles a day. And I was talking to God as I was walking the other day and, and it kind of came to me that probably that feeling, that, that whatever emotion that, that I'm at stirred up with people, it probably faded probably before they got to Mi Pueblito that day, before they had their lunch and so and that, you know, I'm not picking on people about that at all we come here and we come and we, are, you know, we want to sense God, we want to feel the Holy Spirit and so, but I'm afraid that's kind of a fleeting thing sometimes and I was talking to God about my, the, my message, I've known for a little while that I'm going to be preaching today, and I was, I was asking God, what, what am I going to say that's going to change the people that I get to talk to today? And so I got this, this just came into my head, I think God put this in my head, he said, Tony, you're not going to change anybody with your words. It's not going to happen. He said, Tony, you're not a dynamic speaker. And I thought, well, you're telling me that now? And so, I, so he, I really heard that loud and clear. You're not going to change people. You might stir an emotion with somebody. You might make them feel convicted on a temporary basis, but, but that's not going to change anybody. And I said, well, God, what's, you know, what am I going to do? And he said, give them this. Give them this because this will change them. My word will change the people that you get to talk to today. I'm going to speak through you. And so start right here. Start with the Bible. And so I'm going to listen to him. So what I did this past week, because our, our messages, our, our question today, is, or, or the, the sermon series, you can see up on the screen, what Jesus said. And so if we want to know what Jesus said, it's a good idea to read that, right? So I've got a challenge to everybody in the audience today. It's not that big of a challenge. I, I want you to read the red letters of your Bible. Read what Jesus said. You know, I don't like to try to lead people in places that I'm not going, so I did that. I read these words this week. I, my wife and I even, uh, one night this week, we read it aloud to each other. It'll probably take you about two hours, maybe a little longer, but read it for yourself. You know, there's all kinds of sermons that are online today. There's blogs. There's, man, we, there's just so many things that we've got access to these days, more than we've ever had, about people telling you what they believe Jesus said. And, you know, that's all good. That's great. We can learn a lot from all that stuff. But read for yourself. Read what Jesus said. Read those, those red letters. 
You know, when you, you guys walked in the door and you saw these chairs up here, and you probably said, well, Tony's preaching today. And so we're, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about the four chairs a little bit today. It's just a wonderful visual of Jesus' ministry. It's just, this, it's just a great way of kind of depicting the challenges that he made to his disciples while he was here on earth. And so Jesus made four basic challenges to his followers throughout his ministry. How many of you remember, how many of you were here when I preached on the four chairs back in November of last year? Raise your hand. Okay, now how many of you think you remember what each chair represents? Raise your hand. How many of you? Oh, come on. One person. <laughs> I'm going to need some help today, so I'm going to stretch you a little bit, okay? And so we're going to play a little game show here. And uh, so I need a volunteer. I need somebody to come up. I'm not going to make you talk. Uh, we're just going to have a little game. There will be a prize for, for anybody who tries to, 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 to pick you know, what, what these chairs mean. And so who's my volunteer? If nobody volunteers, I'm going to call on somebody. So come on, raise your hand, somebody, somebody. Heather, come on up. She raised her hand. I didn't force her. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. I lied to you. I'm going to have you talk for about 15 minutes, just a brief dissertation. No, I'm not really going to do that. What? Yeah, you'll do it. <laughs> Okay, what I'm going to do, this is real simple. I've got these, these four pieces of paper. I've got a, the challenge that Jesus made to his disciples. They're not in order. I'm going to hand them to you one at a time, and I want you to tape it on the chair that you think it represents. And audience participation is encouraged, but you don't have to listen to them. You can, you can pick left or right. That's right. That'll be our first one. How about that? So there you go. Put this on the chair. I'm going to give you a piece of tape. Tape that on the back of the chair that you think it represents. You guys can chime in if you think she's right or wrong. Come on. Go and make disciples. I'm sorry. I made it as large type as I could. I'm sorry. Go and make disciples. The next challenge is follow me. Follow me. Here's your tape. You listening? I'm not going to. You can listen to them or not. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Okay. It's your call. Okay, the next one is, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Here's your tape. I didn't say it, he did. So. And then, of course, the last one, you don't have any other options, is come and see. Okay. By applause, how many think she got it right? Okay, by applause, how many think she got it wrong? Shame on you. Shame on you. She got it right. Heather, well, here, hold on a minute. For your acumen and for your ac accurate depiction of what each chair uh, represents, I'm going to gift you with a card uh, for a free brunch at Madison's on Main. And so don't, the guy that, you know, don't, don't, don't feed him today, okay? For, you know, he, said, he didn't trust you. So, and by the way, I don't have any plans for lunch, so just to let you know. So. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate that. So, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the four chairs. First of all, Jesus made a basic challenge at the beginning of his ministry, and he said, come and see. And he said this to the, to the lost, to the, to the folks that hadn't come to the foot of, cross, to the, foot of the cross yet. And next, he, he made a, another challenge to his disciples. He went to them, and he said, follow me. 
And, and that was to the believer. That was to the person that, that was convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. And so then the third challenge that Jesus makes, it's a higher challenge. He told his believers about halfway into his ministry, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'm going to teach you how to be a disciple maker. And he, he made that challenge to the worker. And that's the worker in the harvest, not, not working in the nursery or whatever. Someone who's engaged in uh, spreading the gospel. And then the last challenge that he gave to his disciples at the end of his ministry was go and make disciples. And he gave that challenge to the disciple maker. And it's there we're going to camp out today. Because what I, one of the things I want to talk about that Jesus said was he said, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. His words, not mine. And so when I was first thinking about what I was going to talk to you about today, you know, I was kind of thinking, I don't, I don't need to preach about discipleship. Man, I preach about that. That's all I've ever done. And so I started searching for another topic to talk about. And then when I was on that same walk that I was telling you about earlier, uh, out in the morning, it was a hot morning, and I was, and then Jesus said, yeah, you're going to preach about discipleship. That's what I called you to do. And so he kind of convicted me, yeah, you're going to do that. And, and, he, and he said, you're going to tell people that I said go and make disciples. You know, God kind of has that way of just laying stuff on you. It's, you think it's your thoughts, but basically it's God speaking to you. And so what really convinced me was when I was preparing for this, I came across some passages in the Old Testament. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, if you'd like to follow along with that, it'll be on the screens. But I want to read to the, some verses out of Ezekiel, chapter 33, for you. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but if he had taken the warning, he would have saved his life. So God was telling Ezekiel to tell the Israelites that, that if a trumpet sounds, the, the sword's coming on the land, and if the, trumpet, the trumpeter makes the, the noise and then the people hear it, they hear the warning, but they don't pay attention to it, then they're going to die and their blood is on their own head. Let's go on and read in uh, verses uh, 7. It says, So you son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whoever hears the word of my mouth, you shall give them the warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die. And if you do not speak and warn them uh, for the wicked to turn away, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require from your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn away and he does not turn away, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you shall have delivered your soul. And so Jesus is saying, or God is saying to Ezekiel, just, just the opposite here. He's saying, you know, if the trumpeter... Uh, sends out the warning, but no one listens. Then they're, they're, it's on their head. But if he warns, but if he fails to warn the people, then, then the blood, their blood's going to be on his head. See, God is telling him to, to warn the people, and he's telling them what the consequences were and what they're going to be if they don't. I like the next verses in 10. It says, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away 
because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your sin. Turn back from your evil way. So why, why you will die, O house of Israel? And so what this says, God does not... God doesn't want to, us to suffer. God doesn't take joy when, when we fall. He wants us to turn. What does that mean, to turn? God wants us to repent and to walk away from the ways that, that are just death to us. That's what he desires for us. And I love it in verse 17. Let's read this. Yet your people say, the way of the Lord is not just, when it is their own way that's not just. When the, righteousness, when the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he, he will die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just, O house of Israel. I will judge each of you according to his ways. That sounds a lot like our world today. You know, God is a just God. God's a God of justice and we've kind of made our world about fairness. And I'll tell you what, I am so thankful. And, I, and I'm thankful to God that he's not a fair God. He's a just God. If, if, if I get what I deserve, if I get fairness, I'm doomed. If any of us get what we deserve, we're doomed. God is a God of justice and mercy. You know, there's a lot of people in this world today that, that look at this book and they, they read it and they say, God didn't really mean that. There are Christians today who believe that. There are Christians that say this book is 2,000 years old. It's dusty. It's irrelevant. We've evolved past this. And worst of all, there's people that say Jesus is one way to experience God. But he's not the only way. There's people in this country. There are churches. There are Christians in our community that believe that. And that is nothing short of a heresy. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Where do we, where do we read that? We read that in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 28. Probably one of the most read verses. I'm starting to believe it's probably one of the most ignored verses in our Bible. In Matthew 28, God gives us what, what we like to call the Great Commission. And I'd like to quit calling it that. Because saying it's a Great Commission means maybe it's a one-time thing. Or, or maybe it's set aside for for people that are a lot further along their walk than I am. But the bottom line is, it's an everyday commission for everybody who believes in Jesus. It's an everyday, in and out, common commission that he's made for us. Let's read some of those verses, Matthew 28. Let's start with, with verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, I don't know how much you thought about that verse. And I don't know something hit me when I was reading this that I hadn't thought about before, where did Jesus come from? Jesus came to them, but where had he come from? A few days before, Jesus was, was beaten to almost to within an inch of his life. A lot of people think that if they'd never hung him on the cross, he probably would have died. But they hung him on the cross, and he suffocated under his own weight. Then they took him off the cross, and they wrapped him up, and they stuffed him in a hole. They buried him in a grave, and three days later, he arose. Three days later, he came back to life. And he came to his disciples and said, Gather them up, go to the mountain, I got something to say. 
What if someone that you knew who had passed away showed up, walked through those doors today? What would that be like? My dad passed away two years ago. What, if, he, if he walked up on the stage today and, and he started talking to me, do you think I'd listen? Folks, that's huge. Jesus came back from the dead. And I'm sure the people that gathered on the mountain, they were hanging on every word that he had to say. And what did he say? He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me, so listen up. I don't care about your mayor. I don't care about the governor. I don't care who your boss is. I don't care who the president is. I don't care who gets elected next. It doesn't matter to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And listen to this, teaching them to obey the commands that I've given you. And if you do this, surely I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And, and those are imperative statements in there, folks. What does that mean? It means there's nothing else more important. Jesus had just went through, Jesus was just resurrected, and this is what he wanted to tell us. It's imperative, go and make disciples. How many of you remember back in grade school playing playground games like Red Rover? Yeah, you know, you, you remember Red Rover? There's no app for it now. Are you sure about that? So, anyway, so Red Rover, it's a, it's a real simple game. So you just kind of, you kind of, you kind of line up across the field from each other. You grasp hands real tight. And then a leader yells out, Red Rover. Red Rover, you know, let Drew come over. And so what does Drew do when he gets called out? You know, he takes off running as fast as he can. And the object is to break through the hands of the other people. And if he does it, then he gets to grasp hands and he's the leader. If he doesn't, he's out. And so I've, it's been a long time ago, folks, since I was in grade school. But I have those recollections about playing Red Rover. And there's one thing that I don't recall. I don't recall when someone's name got called out, I don't recall anybody saying, you know, I'm going to pray about that. Never heard anybody say it. I've never heard anybody say, you know, I'm, it's just, that's not my giftedness. They didn't. They just followed the leader and they, and they ran across the field. If, you know, follow the leader of the games. Whatever it is, whenever the leader speaks, the, the, the recipient follows. That's the way it works. I've got another analogy for you. Uh, first of all, if, if you've got a teenager in your house, you know this already. I'm going to share some new information for, for people that have younger kids that aren't teenagers yet. When you have a teenager in your house, this is cool stuff. You might want to write it down. You don't have to mow your yard. I had a teenager, I, and you know, I never had to mow the yard. And, and let's, let's give a hypothetical. My son's 21 now, and he's out of the house. But, you know, as a matter of fact, I never had a riding lawnmower until Jacob went to college. And my, my dad, he, he was, man, he was just diametrically opposed. He thought riding lawnmowers were for lazy people. He got, he got over it when I left the house. He, he bought a riding lawnmower when I left the house. And so, so, but let me give you this analogy. Let's say Jacob's at home, it's the summer, and I get up and I'm going to work. And I say, Jacob, mow the yard. And, you know, that's, that's kind of an imperative statement. I can do that. I'm his dad. And so I'm coming back. I'm coming back later on, mow the yard. 
And so let's fast forward and let's say I'm coming home and I walk in the front door. Jacob is all excited. He's running down the stairs and he says, Dad, 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 you know that thing I told, that you told me this morning? I memorized it. And he says, I learned it and I can say it in Greek. And he said, you know, my friends came over a little earlier and, and we sat around the table and we discussed what it would look like if I mowed the yard. You think I'd say, Jacob, that's good enough. It's like, no, that wouldn't have happened. Something else would have happened. Folks, Jesus uh, was radical. Jesus really was radical. He said, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. And, you know, at one point, people think that there were at least 8,000 people that followed Jesus. When Jesus fed fed the 4,000, you know, when you count all of the, the family members that might have been with him, there were at least 8,000 people that followed him around and were hanging on his every word. And what did Jesus say to him? He, he said to him something like this, you know, I, I'm headed to Jerusalem and there's a hill outside the city. I'm going to carry my cross to that hill. And if you want to be to my, my disciple then you need to carry your cross and you need to be willing to walk up that hill with me and die beside me. Jesus said, if you're not willing to do that, you're, you're not much use to me. You'd be like salt that doesn't have any flavor. There's just no use for it. It's not even worthy of throwing it on the ground. If you're not willing to... to, to if you love your kids more than you love me, you can't be my disciple. If you love anything more than me, I have little use for you. The crowds dwindled away to maybe a few hundred people. Folks, we've got to face it. Jesus was radical, and he calls us to be radical. What if we were radical about our faith? I just want us to be honest with each other today. I don't really think we're all that radical about our faith you know we're, we're afraid to mention his name we're, we're, we're encouraged don't bring his name up in the workplace you can't bring his name up in the public arena we're just not radical about our faith even in our church we say things like well we don't want to be too churchy and, and I'm not saying that we need to make up high church words that don't even exist in this Bible. But what I'm saying is when we say things like that, it's almost as if we're saying the Holy Spirit has no power to change people's hearts. It's like we discredit the power that the Holy Spirit has. Jesus was radical, and I think he calls us to be radical too. He also told us there's a cost for following him, and he wants us to count the cost for following him. You know, there's a wonderful verse, John 3, 16. We all know that verse. We probably, it's the one verse we probably memorized when we're little. For God so loved the world that he, be, that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will never die. They'll have eternal life. And if we stop right there, man, doesn't that make you feel good? Isn't that great? I mean, it makes you feel good. But why don't we, why don't we fast forward 20 verses in the same chapter? When Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son won't see life, and the wrath of God will remain in him. If we, if we stop with, this, with, with just this teddy bear view of Jesus and don't listen to what he's commanding us to do, then, then I, we're, just, we're just getting a false view. It's a Jesus that doesn't exist. Do you believe in Jesus? Good, the demons do too. 
Do we obey Jesus' command? Jesus says, count the cost. I love the story of the rich young ruler in Luke 18. When this guy's asking Jesus, what's the cost? What, what, what do you have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus responded to him and said, you know the commandments. And he listed off a handful of them. And I can almost picture Jesus turning away and just getting ready to walk and go on about his day. And then the guy says, hold up, hold up. I pulled out my checklist. Those things you said, I've done those since I was a kid. One of them said, you shall not bear false witness. And I kind of wonder if he wasn't lying. But he said, I've done those things. What else do I need to do? And I can almost see an implied thing here with Jesus. He doesn't say it. But I, I, I kind of wonder if he didn't give him a look like, do you really want to know? And so Jesus said, sell everything you got. Give it to the poor. And follow me. This is where I'm going. And it says the guy turned away and walked away because he was sad. Did Jesus celebrate that and say, boy, I really convicted him. I stepped on his toes. It's not what he did. He said, man, it's hard for this guy. I mean, it is tough. He's got all this stuff, and he doesn't want to give it up. Man, it is so hard for a rich guy to get into heaven. It would be just as easy as taking that camel over there and stuffing it through the eye of a needle. And what we got to remember is his disciples were around him and seeing this. They're watching this happen. And his, and his disciples said, Jesus, man, if, they, if he can't get in, who can? And Jesus said, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're talking about. And, and with man, this, this, this stuff seems impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so the cool thing, if you haven't ever caught on to this, the very next chapter, Jesus has a confrontation with Zacchaeus. And we know the story of Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little guy. And I don't know how Zacchaeus knew about Jesus. I don't know what made him curious about Jesus. You know, he was the chief tax collector of the area. He was like the regional supervisor of all tax collectors. And so Matthew was a tax collector. And I think it's possible that maybe Matthew knew Zacchaeus and, and was telling him about this. Maybe he even told him about this, this confrontation he had with the rich young ruler. I don't know. It doesn't say that. But however it happened, you know, Zacchaeus was climbed up the tree because he wanted to see Jesus, wanted to get a glimpse of him. And what did Jesus do? He said, Zacchaeus, get down. I want to go to your house today. I want to have dinner with you. And so you got to remember Zacchaeus, he was, he was a tax collector. He was wealthy, but he was despised by all Jews. And so no self-respecting Jew would have went across his threshold, let alone sat down and had dinner with him. But what Jesus was saying to him, what he was saying to him customarily would be, hey, I want to be your friend. And so Jesus goes in all of his Junus and walks across this guy's threshold and sits down and has dinner with him. And then you can almost kind of picture Zacchaeus picking up the crystal and clanging it with the fork and saying, guys, i got an announcement to make. I can't keep this to myself anymore. I'm giving away half of everything I own. And you guys know i got a lot of stuff. And for all those people out there, there's a lot of you too that I've messed over. I'm going to pay you back four times what I took from you. See, Zacchaeus was moved, but he didn't say, you know, I'll pray about this. He didn't just say, Jesus, boy, you've really convicted me. He was moved to action. He didn't just say it. He did it. And what did Jesus say? He said, salvation has come to this house today. 
But the coolest thing is, is like when you read this story, and Luke is an orderly account, and this happens right after the story of the rich young ruler. When you read this, you know, the disciples were there again. They were, just, they were confused when the rich young ruler, when he said it's hard for rich people to get into heaven, but then Jesus shows them it's possible. Salvation has come to this house today. Is that not so cool? You know, I'm convinced. I've been really studying the life of Christ for the last year. I've been studying it pretty intensely. And, and I'm convinced that Jesus' ministry, his life was all about pouring into these 12 people. He put up with their dullness. He even said that. Are you so dull? He put up with, with just them coming along slowly, but he spent his whole ministry, his almost four years, pouring into these 12 guys who would go out and change this world. Who would go out through the process of making disciples and making disciples who can repeat the process. That's why we're sitting here right now, today. I'm convinced that was what Jesus' ministry, it's what his life here was all about. By example, he trained them up to be disciples and he taught them how to impart themselves and to pour into others. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that making disciples is easy. Jesus' ministry is, was pretty simple, but making disciples isn't easy. Jesus said they're going to hate you when you try to make disciples. This world's going to hate you because they hate me first. It's not going to be easy. Going up and talking to a stranger about Jesus isn't the most popular thing in the world to do today. It's not the easiest thing in the world today. Quite frankly, I think it's more popular to talk about things like Islam in our culture today. We kind of have this kind of, in our culture, again, kind of this Muslim good, Christian bad kind of thing that goes on. I read an article on Facebook this past week that an imam in Louisville was handing out Qurans at the state fair. His goal was to hand out 5,000, and in the first three days he had handed out two. By all accounts, 2,000, not two, 2,000. And by all accounts, he probably got rid of all of them. And so out of curiosity, I just had to read the responses on Facebook to this story. And, you know, it was, it was amazing. It's overwhelmingly positive. And don't get me wrong, we live in a free society. He's got the right to do that. Now, I'm not questioning that. And I'm not saying that we, should, that we should be nasty about anything. As a matter of fact, with a lot of the Christian responses, a lot of them talked about Jesus. I didn't really see a lot of them really, really being nasty and vulgar. But the people that interjected their thoughts about Jesus and Christianity were, in, the, in the responses were attacked with nasty responses, with vulgar responses. And I started thinking, I was like, man, I wonder what the story would have been if this was about Christians handing out Bibles. And then I kind of had a heartbreaking moment when I, I realized that more than likely, there probably weren't any Christians there handing out Bibles. Jesus called us to be radical. Sometimes I think that we just don't do that. We're just not being radical about our faith. When I talked about the watchman and Ezekiel, I don't believe the watchman is just paid staff. I don't believe it's just ministers. I think the watchmen are all Christians. And, and God's sword is coming, folks. That's what the Bible says. God's sword is coming. It's upon us. And so, so we have to, we, I think our job, Jesus gives us a job to do. And we're supposed to, to tell people that God's wrath is on its way. 
And that's really, I believe, exactly what he's told us to do when we read it. Don't take my word for it. Read this. You know, we kind of, again, we kind of have this view, this, this culture that kind of depicts this teddy bear Jesus all the time. But, you know, Jesus is coming back. I don't think a teddy bear Jesus really exists. Do you want me to read Revelations to you? I'm not tired. I can do it. The sword's coming. Jesus gave us a job. The judgment's coming. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's coming. Folks, I'm convinced that, that Jesus wants us to be chair for people. When I read these words, I'm convinced that she, Jesus wants us to be there. He wants us to call him his friend. And I'll tell you, there's a reason that I can give you about becoming a minister. It's not what I did my whole life. But I've had to give you the truth. If I tell you the truth about why I'm up here, why I became someone who's, who's decided my whole life's going to be about doing this, it's because I'm worried. Because I'm concerned. I think there are a lot of Christians out there today, a lot of people maybe even in this room, that aren't convinced they're saved. And that's bad. But there's something else that I, that I think I know based on what I read in these scriptures is that there are people out there that think they're saved that might not be. I know that's a controversial, that's a controversial statement, but let's, let's just read Matthew 7, verse 21, when Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father. See, I'm afraid, I'm worried that there are people that are going to, when, when they're there to be judged, they're going to say, I went to church every Sunday. I, I gave to the church. I served in the church. I mean, I went to Sunday school class every week. I was in a small group. Where's my reward? And I'm afraid Jesus is going to say, excuse me, do I know you? That's a tragedy. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And folks, I think he was serious. I'm convinced that he meant it. You know, I have a lot of people that tell me, you know, we need to do more things. I need to be filled up. I need to be filled up. There are people I know have been going to church for 30 years that want to be filled up and filled up. And don't get me wrong. Being in the Word every day, studying the Word is a lifelong thing. If you ever tell me that you've learned enough, and I don't have much use for you. There's a season for us to be filled up. There's a season for us to learn as believers. There's a time for us to be filled up and to learn. But that's not the end game. God calls us to grow a heart. To grow a heart to start caring for other people. And moving to the next chair and pouring into other people's lives. He wants us to grow in that. And then he wants us to call us his friend who's going to go out beyond the walls of the church. And he's going to pour into the lives of other people and teach them how to pour into the lives of others. And that's how God's kingdom grows. God said, make disciples. God said, go and make disciples. If you're a chair one person and if you don't know Jesus, if you, if you haven't come to the foot of the cross, 
know, today is all about you. We keep that water over there warm. We keep it clean. We've got trunks. We've got t-shirts. We've got towels in the back. We're ready for you today. God doesn't want you to come up here all cleaned up and shiny because we're all not what we need to be. We're all not where we need to be, right? God says, come to me the way you are. Let me change you. So if that's you today, come up here. We'll take care of it right now. Maybe you've been sitting in chair two for most of your life. And it's not, I'm not picking on you. Please don't take that to be that way. It's just all, it's what we know. We've made church what we know. But maybe Jesus has said something today that, that, to you that's saying, man, I need to move to the next chair. I'm a Christian, but, but I'm just, I've just really had it all wrong. I need, I need to serve him. I need to go. I need to learn how to make disciples. I'd love to walk alongside you to help you with that. If I had 20 people come up here today, I'll find other people to help you. That's what we're all about. We want to help people move on a journey towards Jesus. And, and journey by, in, by, in its, by in itself, it's, it's movement. Let's not stay in one place. Heavenly Father, thank you today. God, thank you for the words that you, that you speak to us. Thank you for these red letters, this guidepost that we have. Lord, I pray that you would convict each and every one of us today. And Lord, we need to start thinking about what it means to take that next step and to start taking the things that you put into our lives and start imparting that into others because, God, that's your holy plan. Lord, we love you. And it's in Christ's holy name we pray. Thank you.